podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, yep, it's that time again. You're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us after an up and down fortnight for the Rams. There was a triumphant high at Old Trafford, swiftly followed by that defeat at Bolton and two draws against Norwich and most recently Steve McLaren's Queen's Park Rangers. I'm Chris. Joining me to chew over Derby's recent fortunes is Mr. Consistency himself, Tom Martin. Marks out of 10 for the trip to Loftus Road yesterday. Oof, uh, difficult one. I'd say six overall. Uh, the pre-drinks beforehand though probably 7 or 8 out of 10 So I'll give it a solid 6 for the day and uh, naught out of 10 for the weather <laughs> the weather was dire wasn't it I'll give it minus marks for the weather I would minus 2 for the weather <laughs> uh, coming up on the podcast we're talking QPR and Norwich we've got your tweets on who comes in against Sheffield United the best derby goals you've ever seen live and a clip from our international break episode and trust me you don't want to miss this um, Richard Kutch is unable to join us this week it's a bit of a shame and I swear, I'm not making this up. It's because he's on a stag do in Newquay with Francis Benali. What a cracking player Francis Benali was. <laughs> um, for younger listeners, he was a, a Southampton legendary fullback, played 300 games for them in uh, in the 90s. Um, which got me thinking, Tom, which Rams legend would you want on a stag do oh, if you had the choice? It depends, doesn't it? If you were playing football against them, I think I'd love to play uh, against Asanovic. Um, however, if I was want, wanting for drinks and a bit of banter, Seth Johnson. Yeah, Seth Johnson would be yeah. like, it'd be great crack, wouldn't he? Yeah. Or maybe uh, Stephen Bywater. I was thinking Bywater because <laughs> it's it's always hard to find goalies in five a side. Yeah. yeah. And he'd be uh, it'd be hilarious on a stag, wouldn't he? She wouldn't know what would happen. He'd probably wake up on like a <laughs> shipping container in the North Sea or something afterwards. <laughs> like a, on an oil rig, like, I don't know, it's a piece of his art or something like that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, God knows. Um, so general opinion on the uh, on the recent games seems to have swayed between we should have got more and not that bad considering you know Norwich are on a decent run mm-hmm. away points on the whole are hard to come by and you always have to welcome them don't you but do you think Derby should have more than two points from the last three league games after Man United yeah it's, it's been a bit disappointing with some of the the spells of the performances like we haven't put together 90 minutes like we did against Manchester United um Yesterday against QPR, there were times when we looked okay going forward. Um, we had a lot of the ball in the middle, sort of third, um, but didn't really create enough. And it was similar against Norwich. I thought the last 20 minutes we really sort of took the game to them and in the end could have come away winning it. Norwich hanging on a little bit at the end. But again, we didn't create enough um, and didn't have enough control of the game, which is something maybe we did see against Manchester United where I thought we were excellent, especially in that second half. So let's look at the positives from QPR then a one-all draw uh, Jack Marriott opening and scoring great to see yeah. wasn't it off the mark in the league latching on to a clipped Bradley Johnson long ball to open his account in the league it's fair to say Tom he got a goal that his work rate really deserved didn't he yeah definitely um, I remember speaking to you and saying after the Oldham game that Jack Marriott will become a fan's favourite because he works really hard and puts lots of effort in um, and he has got a knack for goal like he's, he showed that with being in the right place against United uh, and he showed that again with an instinctive left foot uh, half volleyed finish so yeah I think it's great to see him uh, starting up front I think he thoroughly deserves that goal and I would definitely keep him in the in the team for a prolonged run took it well didn't he mm. nice uh First time finish, cheeky yeah. little sort of dummy-ish from Bryson took a couple of air players out of position. 
that's the exact sort of goal that he scored plenty of for Peterborough last season. It, it was an instinctive strike, as you say, and I think we've, we've lacked that as a centre-forward. We haven't had someone who just sort of pounces on the loose ball inside the box who's sort of quick and gets in there. And another player in the Championship that's been doing that is Bradley Dack. And they were talking about that on the highlights and the fact that he gets into the right places and he anticipates... Marriott's exactly the same. If he, he gets a prolonged run in the team, I could see him scoring double figures, 15, 20 goals this season. It was a really tidy finish. And the um, the through ball, of course, coming from uh, coming from Bradley Johnson, who's had a bit of a renaissance under Lampard, hasn't he? Had another decent performance against QPR. He's almost nailing down that spot in the middle of midfield now, it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, I'd definitely say. Um, he's... He's the sort of player now that we bought him for. When he first joined, I thought he was very sort of strong and very um, sort of dominant in the midfield. He then sort of fell away from that, um, and he's, in the last sort of seven or eight games, he's come back, and it's it's great to see that he gets into the tackle. He strings the midfield and defence together. Um, he's got a short passing game and a long passing game, um, which we've seen over the last sort of few weeks, where which has been much better than he had been in the past. Gave the ball away too often, I think, uh, last season, but this season much better. I don't think any Derby fan would ever say that he is the best technical player that we have I mean Huddleston's technical ability does put his to shame really but then Huddleston's technical ability puts a lot of players to shame but he seems to be using the ball a lot more sensibly these days um, keeps it a bit more neat and tidy and the uh, I'm loving those diagonal balls that he's fizzing around everywhere as well We're like, he's, he's, I'm sure he wasn't doing that up until quite recently or if he was he wasn't pulling it off as often it gives options doesn't it because suddenly that with Johnson having seem to have developed a range of passing it gives options for the diagonal ball or the short pass into someone like Bryson or Mount um, and it just makes us a little bit more uh, sort of dynamic in going forward we just now need to to go to that second stage where the ball gets to the forward players and we actually start creating some chances because that's where it's falling down at the moment um, the passing from midfield into the forwards is fine it's actually the creation of things around the box which we're seeing a problem with so maybe we need to clone Bradley Johnson and put him on the left wing I don't know Two Bradley Johnsons. Imagine it. Never thought, never <laughs> thought we'd be saying anything like that, would we? I'm sure, I could, I could be wrong, we don't go to every game, we only go to some of the games every season, but it's, I'm sure it's the first time I've ever heard our fans singing Bradley Johnson's name in a match. Yeah, unless he's unless he scored a goal, I think. But yeah, I do think he... But just he, for his general play. Yeah. yeah, for the quality he was yesterday. And I was quite surprised when he came off, uh, actually, but... To be fair, Huddleston came on and yeah, showed some neat touches. It'd be quite interesting to see those two in the team together, and where maybe if uh, maybe it doesn't wouldn't work with those two because they're both sitting in that sort of deep lying centre midfield place. Um, but Huddleston did come on and did all right. But I was quite surprised to see Johnson come off. He got good good ovation from the uh, away crowd. Maybe it's like maybe Lampard's almost giving Johnson and Huddleston a, a job a job share sort of a scenario where Johnson throws himself about. You know, for the first 60, 70 minutes, um, crunches into those tackles, does all the physical stuff, and then maybe in the last quarter of an hour when game management comes into it a bit more and ball retention comes into it, maybe that's when Huddleston comes in and when when, like, when legs are tiring, that's when he can exploit the balls behind and over the top. Mm. I don't know, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, maybe. So I think uh, Huddleston does keep the ball a lot better and he does, I think, what I noticed in the last sort of 10 minutes when Huddleston was on um, that we started to move the ball around a lot quicker um, and maybe that was just Huddleston dictating the play I didn't think Johnson did that badly but there was a I thought a noticeable sort of increased pace with the way we moved the ball and maybe that was just because it was last 10 minutes we were desperate to try and go forward and get a winner so yeah I do think it's a, it's a good uh, a good shout for what you're saying there um, the way that Johnson sort of will 
do the first the hard graft and then Huddleston come on and try and open the defence um, he's a lot more creative and as we talked about he's a lot better at keeping that ball and, and seeing a pass that maybe most players wouldn't see when you watch Johnson and Huddleston they have clearly have different attributes but it's so noticeable how much better Huddleston is on the ball than the rest of our team because mm. Johnson will like get the ball in and he will like look down take a touch look up give it someone um, he, he clearly has to make a very more more of a conscious effort to to get it and give it whereas with Huddleston he almost passes he can just pop off passes without even like concentrating or looking he, he just makes those short passes look so easy and there was a couple of touches that you had that he had sorry when he came on where he just got, got the ball in got it in difficult position turned to player gave a little short pass and you were like that's a touch of class yeah now I wish I was Tom Huddleston with the, the class that he, he but we have yesterday. we have missed that in a way and if, if only we had a player who had both of their attributes because then yeah. that would be the ultimate championship midfielder really wouldn't it well he'd probably be playing at Chelsea or, or Arsenal or something like that if you had both of those because that's why I guess these two players are at Derby because they, they lack something in in um, in one of those areas but I think Huddleston he just receives the ball and he's got so much awareness uh, he knows where his teammates are and he can just do things instinctively which maybe as you say Johnson needs to think and concentrate on um, because it's not his natural game but I think he's doing it really well I've been really impressed with Johnson so far he's been a bit of an unsung hero for me been so much focus on the likes of Mason Mount who's been doing brilliantly and thoroughly deserved his England call up but I think Johnson's been excellent too I remember when we when we interviewed Pesh last season he said that one of the quotes about Huddleston that stood out was that he said he could he could fizz a ball at Huddleston when he was 16 from like two feet away and he'd, he'd kill it stone dead every yeah. time you saw a lot of that against QPR this weekend so another word on, on Marriott as well one of the things that impressed me so much he was flying around all over the place wasn't he and he's really not scared to try and win the ball back a good 50 yards from his own goal like in his own half and he really he kept us high up the pitch yeah and, and nullified a few QPR counter-attacks, didn't he? Just by charging back, steaming into challenges, way way away from his natural position. And he, that, that really is great to see. He, he's like an all-action sort of centre-forward, isn't he? He bustles in and out. Um, he's, he's pacey going forward, so he makes a sort of intelligent run, similar to the way Nugent does. But the way he works back, worked back yesterday, there must have been four or five uh, sort of sliding tackles, uh, one of which he conceded a foul for. I've got no idea how, how the referee gave it as a foul. But he was just like working brilliantly um, to win the ball back and, and get us back on the attack again. I mean, N- Nugent does do that. He Nugent admitted himself that he said that, you know, he's quoted as saying, well, I think he's quoted as saying, if Lampard wants me to run run myself into the ground for 60 minutes and then come off, I'll do it. Which he does do. He does close down the channels and he, he does make runs, but he doesn't really throw himself into those challenges and really put himself amongst the opposition midfielders and defenders quite as much as Marriott does. It was a pest yesterday, Marriott, and we uh, used to describe the uh, the, late, the great Andy Vyman as a wasp, but I think it was a very waspish performance from Marriott, just buzzing around the back four, um, and I just think he was let down a little bit from the two players that were in behind him, um, Lawrence and Flojo to start with, and then Wilson, who came on and tried to have an impact, but um, maybe didn't have enough time to, to really get into the game, because it was a, a difficult conditions and difficult sort of position, but I'm really impressed with Marriott, been really impressed with Johnson, so those two... Uh, I hope they continue that form into the uh, coming up in the lead up to Christmas. I reckon if if Vimes a wasp, I reckon Marriott's one of those Asian hornets, one yeah. of those ones that's like four <laughs> inches long and can like can bring down a grown man. <laughs> I would not like to be defending against him because he he just he's just there, isn't he? Just be, be getting in in and around you, and because he's quick, um, and he can also got a good leap. He was winning balls up in the air, which were pumped forward to him, but he's also getting in behind, so he gives the defender lots to think about. And I do think of a prolonged run in, in the team. He can score goals for us. 
you do wonder if he is the number one striker now because the line that Lampard always came out with was that he lacked fitness because he missed pre-season um, but he's got two and two now well he's you know he's got two scored against QPR scored against Man United put himself about as well liked suits our style I mean it's either him or Nuge really isn't it although we, we're going to come on to where Wagron fits into this equation it's a nice option to have um, I think with the, the potentially three of them um, of Nuge Waghorn and uh, Marriott and for me I think Marriott's done well enough over the last couple of weeks to to deserve that start yesterday um, he played well enough to keep the keep the position um, and I would start him as centre forward in the next next couple of games at least strikers need time to get into a run of form um, and if we keep chopping and changing that, you don't you lose your rhythm and you lose your goal scoring ability. I think that's what happened with Chris Martin. As soon as he didn't become the focal point, he stopped scoring goals um, for whatever team he was with, be it at Derby or on, out on loan. Um, and you lose that rhythm, you lose that goal scoring ability. Get Marriott in the team, give him a good run, of, a good run of games, and we'll see goals from him. I think we said on this podcast before that the really top quality world class strikers can have spells in and out of the team, but always make an impression whenever they have to contribute. And I don't think maybe our strikers are at that level anymore for different reasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you there. The conditions weren't ideal against QPR, were they? <laughs> the weather was horrible to get there. So it was the sort of thing. I'm currently myself injured, so don't not playing on a Saturday morning. And I was delighted I wasn't playing because the rain was coming down in sheets. And when we were getting to the ground, it was just soaking wet. And I feel sorry for the lads being out there. The ball was sort of bouncing like funnily. One time it would bounce up normally, and the next minute it would skip through. Do you think, um, do you think it was a bit of a leveller? The conditions, maybe. Not to say that QPR yeah. aren't a good side, but it's, looking watching the game, it seemed like both teams took a good twenty minutes to get used to the uh, to, to the, the playing surface and the weather. I felt the ball held up quite a lot when the if it was being passed along the floor, which is what, what we could tend to do. Obviously, we keep the ball uh, quite nicely at the back and and in the midfield, and the ball seemed to be holding up. So it took time to get out to the wing. And then it sort of killed the momentum of the move quite a few times. And it was a lot better when we went more direct and tried to turn the defenders round uh, with the runs into the channels and things. It's difficult when it's raining quite solidly like that because it's not absolutely lashing it down so the ball doesn't get completely held up every time. But at the same time, it's not just like drizzle that causes like a really greasy top that causes it to kick on every time. The ball would weirdly, you know, stick it long it would bounce once and skid and skid on, and then the second bounce it would hold up, which must be really hard to must be really hard to play in. To be fair, yeah, there was there was one moment in that first half uh, as a goalkeeper, my heart was in my mouth. I think it was Tamori uh, passed the ball back to Carson, and the ball was bouncing, and uh, Carson took a brilliant touch, thankfully. But I could just see the ball skipping underneath Carson's foot because he was expecting the bounce, and I, I literally held my breath and was like, "What could happen?" It's the, it's that that sort of thing um, can really change the game. And the conditions were difficult to play in yesterday, so I do have sympathy with with both sides for not uh, maybe having the quality at times that uh, maybe we'd expect from both of them. Another one-all draw. I think we can all agree that the free kick which led to QPR's goal was an absolute howl of a refereeing decision. An absolute disgrace, wasn't it? So annoying. <laughs> you could see. I mean, it was the other end. We could see it from the other end. Yeah, yeah. and. Yeah. You could see the frustration of the of Tamori when he grabs the ball and just like I've got the ball and he he wins it all and then you see it on the highlights and 
he wins the ball and then he's a, he chucks himself to the floor to be honest and I think it's a poor refereeing decision I think it's a, a cheap free kick to have conceded Carson gets across quite well and like palms it away but for me doesn't necessarily get it far enough it wasn't hit brilliantly the free kick it was into the corner um, but maybe could have get that ball a little bit further away and then we're ball watching and the ball comes back in and we're not we're not prepared for it so yeah. poor goal to concede but poor refereeing decision Yeah, I think we make, I feel like we've maybe switched off a little bit from that terrible decision mm. um, weren't quite playing to the whistle and yeah, it's a decent save by Carson, as you say, but could he maybe got it over the bar? I don't know. I think that's. I think we're being hypercritical there, really. But yeah, when it comes back in, it's Bogle that gets caught out, and um, Tamori was a few yards away from um, Jeff Cameron when he scored. So yeah, that was disappointing. But Tamori was more interested in having to go at the ref. You noticed um, when that ball went in, goes in, he's 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 not got himself back in to concentrate again. And um, I'm sure we're going to come on to the discussion about Curtis Davis. And for me, that little bit of naivety and inexperience is what Davis obviously would remove from the team. And that's why, for me, I would like to see Davis back in uh, at Sheffield United. It's worth saying that Tamori did have a decent game. Mm. I think overall, I've noticed I've been. We wrote a column for the website last week where I did highlight how Tamori has epitomised the inconsistency we've had over the last few weeks because he has made mistakes which have cost us goals. But it was decent against QPR. I thought some really, um, you know, some good moments. Brought the ball out of defence a couple of times, which um, he wasn't doing earlier on. So growing in confidence. But uh, anyway, we'll come on to to Davis afterwards. Steve McLaren said after the game. Well, quite Steve McLaren something back in 2014 again <laughs> um, fantastic game of football it was heavyweights 15th round toe to toe really going for the winner um, I was pretty pissed off after the game actually and maybe used some words which I, I, I do sort of regret a bit today actually I, I, I thought I said at the time I thought we were really average which maybe is a little bit strong in hindsight though both teams did go for it a lot and Lampard highlighted how we were still attacking and going for a winner late on a, a decent game of football all, all, all in all given the conditions and the fact that both teams did try and win it late on there wasn't wasn't any taking it into the corner or anything was there which which everyone always wants to see yeah I, I thought I thought it was a good game for the sort of neutral I wasn't at any point like bored I was quite interested watching the game uh, which is obviously what you go to football for isn't it it's for that entertainment um, I just think both sides really lacked a bit of quality going forward and uh, McLaren loves a cliche doesn't he like heavyweight toe to toe and it's like I don't think QPR were that good and they were there for the taking. Um, Derby have to be better in the future in order to, to win three points against teams like QPR. When you're when the going's tough, the conditions are difficult for both sides, um, we need to be better and we need to have more quality around the box. Also, the one thing we were talking about before with the, the problem with the back four is the way that we defend in the air. Do you think that's part of the problem? I mean, we talked about before how we always seem to have conceded the first goal recently uh, didn't do that against QPR so that's one thing <laughs> but we we're not uh, if you look at the goals we conceded recently Norwich goal in the air Bolton goal in the air QPR's a free kick granted Fellaini's last then before that Fellaini goal in the air um, is that our Achilles heel do you think defensively yeah, I think so. Um, interestingly, we talked probably this time last year about how good we were at defending because uh, we used to drop the four defenders into the box, have four strapping six-foot lads who would head it and kick it. And at the moment, we're not quite seeing that. It's obviously a different structure and a different um, a different sort of way we're playing. But two of those four players are, are currently in the team. One's going to come back in in Davis, I'm sure. Um, so the personnel is the same. It's just the way that we're not actually defending properly uh, when the ball comes into the box, and I think that's perhaps quite frustrating. 
you say obviously we didn't concede first yesterday, but we conceded after what four or five minutes of the second half. Is that early concentration? We seem to be uh, not quite there. We conceded early against Manchester United, um, and we conceded early in the first half again, again in the second half against QPR. So we need to make sure that we're we're on the ball straight away because um, that that seems to be a real problem and it's a bit of a pattern that's emerging. We're not going to be anywhere near the playoffs by uh, taking you know taking the first quarter of an hour of each half to get into each game, are we? You can't get away with that. But anyway, Derby's seventh for now. Things could be a lot worse. I mean, we're only one point worse off than at this stage last season. I'm actually a place higher. And uh, the Championship does continue to throw up a few surprise results, doesn't it? Forrest turning over Middlesbrough at the uh, um, at the Riverside at the weekend. Leeds dropping points at home again, having looked invincible at the start of the season. And we're only, what are we, eight points off? No, seven points off Sheffield United at the top. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. I think it's. I think it is very tight in the championship, and there's so many teams that can beat other sides. Um, we talked about Leeds when they beat us four one, and me and Kutch both said that we think that they would uh, come unstuck at certain points. And I do expect them to to be up there, but I don't expect them to be right at the top. Forest are the ones for me. They look they look a decent side, unfortunately. Um, got some we, good players. We, we, were, we were saying on the way back, walking over to uh, Shepherd's Bush Tube, weren't we? That for the first time in a while we're a little bit apprehensive about playing Forest <laughs> yeah. this season yeah it's going to it's going to be a difficult game um, an exciting game of course because the the, um, the Brian Clough derby is always an exciting one but it's it's the first time I really think that maybe Derby are perhaps slight underdogs for it and I think Derby have always been the, the side on the up and Forest have been the side with uh, under a bit of pressure and that's not saying that Derby are, are doing badly but Forest are, are having a really good season that's a great result for them at Middlesbrough there's a lot of good sides up there and there's a lot of teams that I think look, there's going to be a lot of things that will change over this season sides like Wigan have done really well to start there can they stick up there um, but obviously they got pasting I think from uh, was it Preston yesterday so yeah there's there's plenty of things that's going to change over the next sort of few months and it's, it's it's good to be in the mix I think now then Todd and McFarland Sturridge and Gabbiadini Carbonari and Tarebo West what have they all got in common Tom? <laughs> I don't know that's right they're all great <laughs> partnerships in Derby <laughs> Except for the last one, probably. <laughs> anyway, all great Derby partnerships, and we are involved in another one because Steve Bloom is washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, the family-run micro-pub operator in Derby with three venues across the city, including the Tap, which is walking distance from Pride Park. Back in a sec. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. A pretty gruelling run of fixtures coming up for Derby after the international break then Tom Sheffield United top at home next then West Brom second away then Middlesbrough who are fourth away um, what we want to know is who or what should change for those games um, would you be tempted to keep the same starting 11 that started at QPR uh, no um, I think uh, I think there does need to be a change I think defensively Davis needs to come in um, there's obviously the debate over who he comes in for and for me it's Tamori just because I think he's done alright but he's got a mistake in him um, and I think we just lack a little bit of composure at the back which I think Davis would bring Tamori's got the pace to get himself out of the situations but he made a couple of mistakes yesterday um, which weren't punished um, one where he misjudged the flight of the ball and it was only because uh, Forsyth got back in uh, that it wasn't a clear chance on goal for QPR and um, so I'd like to see definitely a change at the back with Davis coming in um, and I also think there's options up front and it's a difficult one I think up front Waghorn does he come in and does he start uh, I think Marriott's got to start and 
Yosef Jun yesterday was really poor um, so I think he needs to get out of the team and uh, be replaced by someone but again is it Lawrence or is it Wilson there's options there we put this one out to you guys on Twitter and got a decent amount of responses thanks for everyone thanks to everyone who got in touch to give us their opinion uh, Joel Moore tweeted us to say Davis to come in for Tamori who's done little wrong but seems to have made a few errors leading to goals recently basically everyone seems to agree that Davis should come in for Tamori except a couple of people Luke Thrower said bring Davis in and drop Keo. for me Keo hasn't done too much wrong but neither has Tamori and clean sheets are important so Davis comes in Julian Gerson uh, got in touch to say Davis in for Tamori need consistency in attack figure out the best formula and stick with it brackets for me as in for, for Julian uh, Lawrence Marriott and Flojo and play Johnson slightly deeper we need more defensive fortitude to stop the awful pattern of conceding first. And above all else, do not ever drop Jaden Bogle. Uh, Mark Spendlove tweeted us to say, I want to see Huddleston get a chance with young legs around him instead of the slow, cumbersome geezers he played <laughs> with last season. Um, think he could get even more out of Mount. Uh, Andy Buckley-Taylor got in touch to say, Davis in for Tamori again. The lad has done well, but Davis is our best player. Wilson, Marriott and Waghorn up front. And uh, Chris Smith got in touch to say, in the same way that we need Jack Marriott in for goals, we need Waggy in for cutting edge and assists. Front three ultimately has to be Waggy, Jack, Marriott and Wilson, and that suggests goals to me. Uh, there's a bit of chat that I've seen of people suggesting possibly moving Tamori across to right back. For me, I think we've got to stick with Bogle, really. He's growing with every yeah. game. To- totally agree with Julian. Do not drop Bogle. It's it's great that someone can come in this season. It's been so exciting. Um, but almost under the radar, he's only played what, 10 games or so for the club. But he's become a straightaway firm favourite with the uh, with the. Uh, with the fans um, he's done a really good job at right back um, and although he's been targeted in some games we've talked about the Millwall where they said they targeted him I think he's stepped up to the challenge and I think he's done an excellent job at right back so I don't think moving Tamori to right back is the right idea and I actually agree with Andy and, and Chris about the centre forwards there I think Waggy, Jack and Wilson would be my three as well Great contribution that Waghorn did make against Norwich when he came on um, really top quality assist that he, that he put in for Bryson who then scored with his knee when he <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it like a, it's a ball down the left channel and, and Waghorn did really well to just like chop back as sort of a, a Cruyff turn back onto his right with his left and floated over a, a decent teasing little cross that Bryson did well to stick in the bottom corner so yeah he's clearly got something to offer maybe been played slightly out of position but I don't think I think Waghorn's more suited to that than Mario. he can't play Mario out there can he he's only a target man really I think um, Marriott will play through the middle. I think that's his best place. But Waghorn seems quite suited to the left and he cuts in and he offers that sort of second support um, quite nicely, I think. So I'd like to see Waghorn actually get a chance to, to again, cement his place in the team. I think he's been in and out. And as I talked about in the first half, strikers and, and forwards need to, to play consistently to build up a run of form. Um, I'd really like to see for three or four games a consistent these are our front three, I'm going to go with these regardless. And if you need to make a change, you, you make that change at half-time after 60 minutes or whatever. Um, but have a bit of faith and show those three. Waghorn, uh, Jack Marriott and, and Wilson would be a good front three for me. I think it probably has to be Tamori over Keogh as well. I mean, let's not forget that it was Keogh and Davis who had that really rock-solid partnership um, towards the end of last season. And in that great one when we got into the automatics. Um, yeah, they're, they're both not the quickest, but I think they don't find themselves in positions where they have to use their pace as much in the first place, do they? 
we're not getting done by through balls and side ball passes by quick centre forwards. We're getting done by balls into the box, and that's what we that's what we need. Davis heads it, he kicks it, he gets in the way of things. Um, and he's an organizer, and that's perhaps what Tomori isn't. Tomori has kept us really um, done really well dealing with um, things going forward because he is so quick and he reads the game very well. Um, but Davis is he organizes that that side, and he's an absolute man mountain. So he needs to come back into that team, um, and I haven't got a problem with him and Keo playing and not being the quickest because that's not our issue it's, it's weird isn't it having two centre-backs who are over 30 and then a right-back who's 18 <laughs> it's nuts really yeah. and Curtis Davis told us in pre-season that he started his career before Jaden Bogle was even born which um, which which seems ridiculous but yeah I've, I, did, I have enjoyed how Bogle's played recently the only thing I would say is that he maybe doesn't always quite make the right decision in the offensive third all the time um, he's really good at getting it and bringing it inside onto his left isn't he and, and cutting through little spaces making those nice marauding runs that he loves to see fullbacks make but he hasn't always delivered the best ball in at the end uh, doesn't quite have that final product yet but I think I think that'll come and it's not the most important part of his game is it the important thing is, it, is that he can defend yeah I do agree and I, I can see your sort of point about him going forward but that wouldn't be a concern for me my concern on Bogle would be if he was getting beaten constantly and we're conceding lots of goals down the right which which isn't happening um, we've got Wisdom who is a more experienced player very good player um, but he's not exactly dynamite going forward is he so it's not up to Bogle to create those chances going forward it's up to some of the front three who I think at times haven't really done enough and he does he does often get into he does often get in behind doesn't he and he has that good overlap we had it with Mason Bennett up until recently what about Sheffield United then top of the league has come from sort of nowhere really haven't they everyone's looking at West Brom and Leeds although they did do this last season as well I seem to remember they had a really good start and then faded badly after Christmas they've got some good players there um, obviously ex-Darby player Paul Coots in the midfield is just sort of coming back in as well um, and I think they've done done brilliantly as you say they did it last year and I think they've they've built on their team um, and they look like a decent outfit. There's going to be a surprise package. Like the football never works there. You you beat the teams who are not very good and you lose against the teams at the top. So we would have expected to get more than two points from our previous three fixtures. Um, we were talking about maybe six to seven points in the last podcast. Um, bearing in mind that we're now playing three of the top four, wouldn't surprise me if we got more points out of those three games than we do. Um, we did over the last three games um, so Sheffield United done really well but I would be expecting a win against them what I've noticed is I was looking at the table this morning of the five games that Derby have won four of them came against the current bottom four Reading Ipswich Preston and Hull hopefully we <laughs> that's just coincidence we can't read too much into that because we, we, you know, we have turned over a decent team in Brentford but the next three games season defining would you say or is it too early to say that I still think it's too early but you have to pick up points against these these top teams if we lose all three then yes it is season defining because it says to us that we're not good enough to be up there challenging for playoffs um, we beat Sheffield United and get a point out of West Brom or Middlesbrough or we get a point at Sheffield United and a win away uh, one of the other two places and um, I think that's a good return if anything if we lose all three I think that, that could be a real problem for us and um, and it might be a big knock to the confidence. I don't think we will lose all three, and I think that we'll pick up at least one win out of those three fixtures. We couldn't do this podcast for this episode without talking about Man United. I know it was, what was that, 10 days ago now? Yeah. Possibly, or, or well, basically two weeks ago by the time this podcast comes out, but really one of those I was there 
nights, wasn't it? It's one of those games you're going to remember regardless of where you watched it. Um, I watched it in my local pub in South East London, uh, which was packed to the rafters with Manchester United fans who didn't realise I was a Derby fan um, until Harry Wilson scored and I literally screamed the pub down. Um, much to the shock of the people around me and then I got in here full of abuse uh, for it but what a, what a great strike from Wilson and what a brilliant night Derby were quality in that second half I was so proud of the fact that um, we pressed and we took the took the game to a team who are in my lifetime the best the best team in England felt really good to uh, you know to have one of those nights where you're genuinely proud to support a club didn't it because we haven't had one, that many of those in recent years but we were making national headlines for the right reasons on Wednesday morning. Yeah, it was it was great. I, I do remember the last time we beat United uh, when Chris Common scored that goal in the League Cup. Um, it was obviously a January time and I remember walking uh, across Waterloo Bridge just in my derby shirt just because I was like so buzzing that we'd won. Um, obviously it was freezing cold but I didn't care because it was such a great performance there and a great, great sort of moment and Tuesday night the other week was exactly the same and going into work on Wednesday was quite pleasant. And how about that Wilson free kick? Absolutely unbelievable. Just for the, as I said at the time, on I, I did a bit in the radio for someone afterwards, and it was just the shock factor, really, because it was so far out, and we expected Mount to take it. Um, had a few shouts the next day from some people saying it's the best goal I've ever seen live at a derby match. So uh, a few people got in touch to suggest some other uh, legendary Ram strikes from uh, from down the years, from ones that they've seen. I think a few people got a little bit confused with this between best goal I've ever seen live which is what I meant as in from a technical footballing ability sense as as compared to their favourite goal I've ever seen live anyway some people came back to us some good answers on this Um, Craig Nash suggested Matt Oakley's quote filthy goal against West Brom in the uh, 06 or 07 season remember that one that was a a long range pile driver I seem to remember Um, who else do we have Jimmy Gregory suggested Jamie Ward against Forrest in the uh, in the 10 men game he said I'm still not quite sure he scored that one Lots of people obviously suggesting one chop against Man United, 96-97. Uh, Paul Denman suggested Dean Saunders' header against Forrest in around 89-90. Was that the one where Graham Richards said, uh, pick that one out, Mark Crossley? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it was, I yeah. It's a bit before my time, that one, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter Filippowitz was one of many to suggest Johnny Russell against Forrest in, in the 5-0 game, of course. Uh, Danny Abbott suggested that on email as well. Um, Adam came with a curveball one on Twitter suggested that uh, Simo Valakari deserves a shout for his audacious lob against Wimbledon do you remember that in one of Sellers Park I, I don't think I do remember that was that, was that when we won 1-0 I think it was around 2000 yeah. I think it was him yeah um, who else do we have Kevin West suggested Arturo Lupoli against Colchester in the 07 promotion season that's when Giles Barnes was on fire that night wasn't he yeah, yeah. I think we won 5-1 five, 5-1 five, five, one, yeah, yeah. Uh, Neil Jones tweeted us to say uh, Charlie George in the FA Cup fourth round in 1976 uh, goalkeeper's kick Charlie George flick on Kevin Hem- Kevin Hector with a sumptuous back heel for Charlie George who buries it um, a bit before our time that one but uh, I have since looked at it on YouTube and it is, a, it, is it is a cracking goal and someone else also suggested I haven't got it written down but uh, someone suggested Paul Goddard's chip I think it was against Everton and the baseball ground where chip Neville Southall which got, got a lot of love on Twitter it's, so um, it's a big big figure to chip the ball over Neville Southall well he wasn't as fat then <laughs> um, and he <laughs> all we know him for now is just tweeting about how much he hates the Tories and all that sort of thing but back in the day he was a, he was a legendary goalkeeper wasn't he so um, yeah cheers for getting in touch on that one some you know some real uh, some real blast from the past on Twitter there and before we go we wanted to alert you all to the next podcast that we're doing 
uh, over the international break. We've recorded it already. We all had a bit of a laugh, didn't we, at uh, Rami's latest exploits at the Norwich game. He was uh, he was caught on camera having a bit of mischief and a bit of banter with the uh, with the Norwich players, accusing one of them of uh, doing a bit of the old simulation. And we've got a one-off podcast during the international break, which ties in pretty nicely with with that incident. So, spoiler alert, Tom. Uh, Rami isn't a real Ram, what? I'm afraid. What? Yeah, I know. And I'm afraid Santa isn't real either. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Ruined my day. <laughs> um, there's a man inside that costume, believe it or not. And during the 2009-2010 season, that man was our very own Richard Kutcher. What a hero. Can you believe it? <sighs> what um, a hero. So he's not even here to explain it properly, but it's honestly true. Our very own Richard Kutcher from this very podcast... Uh, spent a season as Rami in his youth. Uh, he was employed by Derby County as the official club mascot. So we asked him all about it for a, a special one-off episode, in a, which is a sentence I never thought of myself <laughs> say. Uh, how he got the job, what it's like inside that giant costume. I've tried the head on, it's very heavy and very sweaty inside there. Uh, and the life of a, a football mascot in general. Um, so here, to whet your appetite, here's a clip of Richard talking about the audition that he had at Pride Park. So when you did the actual interview, there was a bit of a bizarre task they asked yeah. you to do, wasn't there? Yeah, so uh, I went up, as I said, I was wearing my suit, and the interview took place in the, in the boardroom, uh, in, the, in, in the main boardroom at Pride Park. And there was about three or four people from communications and marketing there. And I did a normal kind of, what you'd say, a traditional interview, panel interview about, you know, why I was interested in the role, what my connection to Derby were, what I'd bring to the role. Where you see Rami in five years' time. Where I see, where I see, <laughs> where I see Rami in five years' time. Um, but I saw that they had on the side uh, of the room the original Rami head, the old Rami head, which I think most people remember. Um, and they asked me at the end of the interview to uh, leave the room, uh, put, put the head on. I'm still wearing my suit and tie. And executive of, Rami, nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and burst through, burst through the boardroom doors as if I was leading the team out at Pride Park, um, and kind of jump around. Well, like and... physically smashed the door down, like, like <laughs> yeah. Hulk Hogan style, sort of thing. Ram, like Incredible ram, Hulk, ram it down. <laughs> and I think someone from Arkin just said like one, two, three, enter or something. And I came in, I jumped about, and although Rami is mute, as most mascots are mute, I was kind of shouting, because I was shouting to get myself going, get my adrenaline going, and show that I could be big and, and brash and bold. <laughs> Just like we do before the start of each podcast. Yeah, yeah. exactly similar warm-up. Um, <laughs> anyway, it seemed, to go, it seemed to go quite well, um, and then a couple of weeks later, I was invited back for a second audition, and this time it was very much an audition. Um, and the, that task was taken a step further, but no, no less bizarre. So... This was the first season we had a brand new costume for Rami, and we'll talk about that a bit more because that became controversial in its own in its own, in its own way. Um, but they asked me because again they were auditioning for a new announcer and a new DJ, and they invited me to go down to the, the home changing room. And it was this was like a Wednesday, you know, like a Wednesday or Tuesday pre-season, so there's no games on. There's an empty Pride Park, thirty-three thousand empty seats, and they wanted me to put the full costume on and lead out an imaginary team in front of an imaginary crowd <laughs> with with the, with the music blaring at least and I had to run out and I ran around the pitch and basically did the routine I ended up doing that whole season of leading the team out and that was 
very strange because there was about four people sat, you know, in the in the West End <laughs> judging me and watching me <laughs> lead out. Marks out of ten. <laughs> I did five. I, you know what? I don't remember getting much feedback at the time. <laughs> they were taking the mix. Then 40 minutes later, they're like, Richard, you can stop doing it now. <laughs> stop running around the pitch. <laughs> yeah, I was celebrating goals still. Imaginary Chris Commons hat trick. So yeah, an exclusive with former Rami the Ram Richard Kutcher. I'm not sure what else to say about that one, so uh, I'll just let you enjoy it later. Um, it was good it, to go back over the memories that we had then as well, like of what, knowing the guy in there and seeing the interactions and stuff. That's exactly it. it. Just watching Rami is even funnier when you know the person inside the suit. <laughs> Especially when it's rich. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, any other business before you go, Tom? Uh, yeah, you were talking about favourite goals. What's your favourite goal you've ever seen live? Um, probably two. I think Hughes against Brighton in the playoffs. Just the, you know, that audacious little back heel from that Forsyth cross. Um, and the occasion that it was with, you know, it really felt like we were doing something in that game. And it was just the start of a an amazing win um, second second shout I think George Thorne against Huddersfield that was a that was a belter wasn't it I was right behind that in the away end when he when he chested it down and thumped it on our volley as a top corner what about you yeah that was a top strike I wasn't there for that one um, interesting there's a lot of goals I think the Bryson goal away at Yeovil I think somebody had a 20 25 13 pass move and then Bryson chips over the keeper I think my best goal was the Jeff Hendrick equaliser in the Millwall 3-3 draw when we uh, then failed to get to the playoffs by losing to Reading, but I tend to forget about that because it was just a ridiculous game in a yeah. period where we just couldn't defend. But, but it was a it was a sweet sweet volley, wasn't it? Yeah, cross from the left, header back cross, and Hendrick on the volley going backwards, uh, smashed it into the top corner, Qu- cracking strike. So I think that was my my top goal. We want to congratulate Mason Mount before we go on his call up to Eng- England squad. Uh, just uh, it's fantastic, wasn't it? I mean. Not actually our player, but we'll gloss over that. <laughs> That's not important. He definitely deserves it. For He's playing party. for Derby, which is uh, which is the important thing. Well, Derby have, have had players in England squad. Frankie Fielding got a call up in uh, about 2010, but Derby haven't had a player play for the senior squad since Seth Johnson against Italy in November 2000 in a friendly under Peter Taylor, where he came on for um, he came, came on as a sub. Play quarter of an hour, and then that was his international career over. Never play for England <laughs> again. Um, so yeah, bit of a dark day for England. But what I want to know is, Tom, can you name that England team? Let's do it. Let's do it one player at a time. Who was in goal? I said Robinson initially because you asked me this through the week. But I think David James might have been the goalkeeper at that point. Correct. Good. Uh, back four: Cole at left back, Campbell, Ferdinand, and Gary Neville. So the back four was Neville. Correct. Ferdinand. Correct. Southgate oh wow and Gareth Barry okay believe it or not I had Barry in the midfield then the midfield is it looks like we went 4-5-1 I think so give me your five man midfield okay I went, well I went Barry so he's not in there um, Hargreaves Buck Beckham Barnby um, and if I've got an extra person in midfield I'm going to put Skulls in there I think you've got two of those so the midfield was Beckham yep. Nicky Butt Kieran Dyer oh, me. <laughs> Ray Parler <laughs> <laughs> Nick Barnby it's a bit of a stinker in England team this one who was up front uh, it's either going to be Owen or Heskey and I went uh, Owen I think oh it's Heskey oh, replaced by Kevin Phillips <laughs> at the same time as Seth Johnson also came on Robbie Fowler Darren Anderton and Seth Johnson and Jamie Carragher so there you go Seth Johnson came on with Alessandro Del Piero that game as I saw in your video and almost scored with his first touch as we tweeted out earlier so yeah hopefully he set the bar fairly low for Derby players playing for England. I think hopefully Mason Mount may top him 
in the next break if he, if he gets on I think uh, Mason Mount from what I've seen so far is one of the best players I've seen in a Derby shirt it's obviously only been a small part of the season but if he continues to develop he's got a very very promising England career ahead of him that's it for us then that's all we've got time for for this podcast thanks for listening as always catch us on social Instagram Facebook and Twitter at Steve Bloomer Pod drop us an email uh, Steve Bloomer's washing at gmail.com Tom thanks for your time thanks very much we're off paintballing with Stefan Schnorr see ya <laughs>